You're listening to the Tenuto Podcast, presented by me, Kevin Lynch. Here we go! Alright, and welcome back to another episode of the Tenuto Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Lynch, and let me tell you guys, we've got a really, really good interview on today with Henry Miller. He's a finalist for the Music Education Grammy Award. That's right, the Grammys. Henry Miller, uh, he's a middle school band director out in Sierra Vista Middle School uh, in California. And he's just got some great insights, some great stories. Really excited to work with Henry. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about my day. I've started coaching girls basketball. And I'm also teaching private lessons after school, so I have been slightly busy. Um, but it's a good busy, though, you know? It's like it's a busy where when you go to bed at the end of the day, you're out, and you're, you're feeling good about it. You know, you're feeling good about the work that you put in all day, and that's a, that's a good feeling. Unfortunately, today, um, I came home, and I'm ready to produce the podcast, and the interview that I have, the audio from the interview, it's a little fuzzy, and I was really, really disappointed when I heard it because, I mean, it's not every day that you interview a Grammy finalist, um, so I was a little disappointed. Please understand while you're listening to the interview that the audio is a little bit fuzzy, and I really, really apologize. I understand. Um, it is tough to listen to at some points, but I promise, as the internet... Er, As the interview goes on, it does get better. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about Henry Miller. He is the middle school band director at Sierra Vista Middle School in California. He's been teaching for 26 years, which is pretty amazing. And he loves teaching. I mean, he, he gave up one of his planning periods to have an extra class. He's got a total of seven ensembles. Um, He teaches after school, he teaches before school, he teaches during his planning period, Um, he's dedicated, and I think that's so cool, and it's so inspiring to talk to someone who loves teaching that much. Um, I'll tell you what, just talking to the guy on the phone, when I hung up, I felt like we had been long lost friends, honestly. Uh, he's He's such a personable guy. Uh, can't say enough good things about Henry Miller. The fact that he was willing to come on the show without even knowing me was just unbelievable. And such great guys, such great answers. I'm going to kick it now to the interview with Henry Miller. All right, I've got Henry Miller on the line, a finalist for the Music Education Grammy Award. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, I appreciate you having me. Now, you've had quite the interesting path to getting to where you are today. Can you talk a little bit about your journey to becoming a music teacher? Well, yeah, sure. Well, you know, in high school, uh, I was obviously in a high school band and, and was, was living the whole thing. You know, you loved playing the band, the concert band, the, the jazz band, the marching band. I was a fairly decent trumpet player. I was in the, uh, you know, the, the old... Well, we have in our part of town because California is so large. We have an all Southern California uh, honor program, so you can be in a band and orchestra, 
I was in those through high school. I, you know, I, I got a scholarship to USC to play my trumpet. Um, but what I discovered, which I'm sure a lot of people discovered, is that, you know, at that time, I was just a big fish in a little pond. You know, Southern California is relatively large. When right. you get to a school like USC or some other school that has a very strong music program, you realize that everybody who goes there is a big fish in a little pond, and suddenly you're not so big of a fish anymore. And you see graduate students who are putting in hours and hours of practice, and you realize, you know, I don't know if I have that level of commitment to my instrument. And uh, my private teacher at the time, who was in the L.A. Philharmonic, his name was Boyd Hood, he gave me the best advice anybody possibly could. And he said, when you wake up in the morning, if you want to play your trumpet, then that's fine. Go off and do it, but don't try to make a living doing it. But if you wake up in the morning and you have to play your instrument, something that you have a physical emotional need every day to practice your instrument, then don't worry, you'll be fine to like it. And I realized at that point that I played music because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the social connection with music. I enjoyed playing. Uh, but it wasn't something that I was willing to spend the practice for six hours a day and work on. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I dropped out of music completely. Um, I started going to school at USC part-time so I can continue to play in the marching band there. And I started school at Long Beach State University, which has an amazing education program. But what I ended up doing is just kind of drifting for a little bit. When I, before I left SC, I walked into the architecture school, and I said, I think I'd like to study architecture. And they said, great, but our program is impacted. Come back to your junior year. <laughs> and that was probably the best thing that could happen to me because I started studying other things. I started studying mathematics, which I ended up getting a minor in math because I ended up taking so many math classes. But eventually kind of got pulled back. I still played. And eventually right. got pulled back into music. And I was hired about my junior year or so, to be an assistant at a high school in Long Beach. And it was then that I discovered the unique idea of being able to not only have my music, be able to share it with other people. And yeah. that's why I really got hooked into education and, and the rest of it, that, you know, I guess is history from there. Yeah. Wow. That's a pretty amazing story. So, so did you, you continue to study at Long Beach? Correct. I was taking classes okay. at Long Beach and then driving over to the University of Southern California to continue to take lessons with Boyd and to continue playing the marching band there, so I still had my connections with that association. Gotcha. So you've been in California your whole life, right? Yeah, yeah. Born and raised. I, I live about an hour's drive from where I was born. Gotcha. Did you happen to watch the Rose Bowl? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm a Penn State <laughs> on, man. graduated from Penn State last year. That was a tough game for me to watch at the very end. Indeed, but was still one of the football games I think I've ever seen. Though. Oh, my gosh, yeah. What a game. Yeah. Um, so, back to teaching. Um, mm-hmm. you, you've done some great things at, at your middle school, and I'm curious, when, when things aren't going well in the classroom, is there something that you resort to that you always know will be successful, like a teaching technique? Well, I guess it depends on what you're talking, uh, talking about when it doesn't go successful. Um, uh, when, when you're maybe if, if you're losing the the, uh, the attention of your students, is there any uh, technique that you use to to that you you can rely on that you know will be successful? Well, one of the things I tell every student teacher I've had is that if there's something going wrong in the classroom, it's not the student's fault; it's our fault. Right. Something we didn't do didn't work, and whether it was not preparing ahead of time, or if it uh, we picked the wrong literature, or something, somehow we are not engaging the kids, 
And so mm-hmm. I think that after you've been teaching for a while, you become uh, adept at being able to kind of feel the pulse of the room. Right. And when you're actually starting to lose the kids or when you feel that things aren't going the right way. And if you have the wherewithal, then you can kind of decipher why that is. And I think one of the most important things to learn is to be able to change up things as quickly as possible. Um, I, when I, was, I, I used to teach elementary school before I started working at Sierra Vista. And one of the things that was so important because we saw the kids twice a week is you have to continually repeat lessons. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, take a two steps forward, take a step back every single time you teach the kids. So the concept of creative repetition is really, really important. How do you teach the same thing multiple times so that you can get the kids who are struggling and yet not bored of the kids who already got the concepts? So I think from the podium, I think this type of thing is this. You're out there and realize, okay, this lesson is not going as well as I wanted to, so I need to go back up number two and then maybe back up number three, or maybe I need to change my pacing of the lesson. So there's an awareness that one needs to have from the podium about what is going on and how the kids are reacting to what you're doing. And then also be aware to, to be able to come step back and say, you know what, I screwed up. This is the wrong piece of music for these kids. We're going to dump something else and then have a backup plan ready to go. Yeah, I think I think no matter what happens, even if, if food is controlled in the classroom at some point, uh, you can always learn from it somewhere or another and make, make the necessary changes so it won't happen again. Oh, absolutely. And the point also is not to get to that point where you lose control. Right. So the awareness. I mean, if you're sitting there and you're working the flutes and you're working the flutes and you're working the flutes, you're not paying attention to what's going on in the percussion section. Something's going to catch fire. So <laughs> yeah. You still have to be aware, you know, what are those kids doing? And how can I engage them while still working with the flutes? I'm still trying to fix this one rhythm or, or the, the tone quality or the intonation, whatever it is. How do I still keep those other kids engaged? Well, maybe I need to abandon this and come back to it later. Because you can't fix everything in, you know, in one day. Absolutely. Yeah, and speaking of engaging kids, I saw this story about you online. I just thought that I, I really would like to ask you the story behind it. Um, I read that you dyed your hair pink for your students. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Sure. I'm not sure how, you know, festivals go in every other state or where you're from. In our state, when we go to a festival, you have three judges to adjudicate your, your performance. And the rating goes to pure, excellent, good, fair, poor. Yeah. Um, and if you get all three judges for a superior rating on the group, then you're called unanimous superior. Mm-hmm. So that is actually what's considered the highest rating that you get at festival. But when I came to Sierra Vista, our first three years, the, our, our top orchestra got unanimous superiors every single time. The band never got it. And okay. so there was a year, but we had a pretty good band. We were playing quite well. And kids say, you know, hey, Mr. Miller, we're going to get unanimous superior this year. I said, well, you know, it's really hard because in a way it is a little harder, I think, for bands to get the unanimous superior than it is for orchestras. And I explained to them that, you know, a lot of the judges are band directors, and so they don't know a lot of the string techniques that you that, that we do or, you know, are able to adjudicate as effectively. And that's not true in all situations, obviously. But I have seen there have been times where my orchestra would play, and I go, hmm, that wasn't quite unanimous superior, and then we would get it anyway. While the staff on the other hand, you go, okay, I think you could play that better, and yet the rating wasn't as high. And that's what I would explain to the kids. I said, you know, you can't, no band has ever gotten unanimous superior in our district, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, well, no, no, we're going to shoot for this. We want you to, to give up something that happens. I said, well, fine. What do you want? And they said, well, will you dye your hair pink if we get the unanimous superior? Thinking it would never happen, I said, sure, no problem. <laughs> and so it indeed happened. And so 
but all is fine. So I said, you know what? Next week, we're going to have a pink day. And anybody who wants to, you can dye your hair, you can wear pink, anything. Pink all the way. And so pink day was born at that time. And so that became our tradition. Anytime all our ensembles get United Superior at festival, then we have a pink day. So everybody dyes their hair, everybody wears pink, whatever the case is. And, so, and it's a little harder now because now we take five groups to a festival. Wow. So all five groups get United Superior for us to have a pink day. Oh, my gosh. That is an awesome story, though. And I bet it motivates them some, somewhat. I mean, that's, that's such an awesome way to motivate the students to think day. I love that. It, it is. The problem, of course, is that when you don't get it, then, of course, they're let down. But we always yeah. try to go in the idea that when you go to festival, the concept is you're not trying – it's not a competition. You're not trying to beat other bands. You're not trying to win the United Superior – uh, we're going in there. The only competition is ourselves. How can we improve our group to the point that we can be ready to be able to do a great performance at, at festival? And if we do our absolute best and we don't get the animus superior, at least we knew that's, that was our goal, to actually do our best. And, and so it, it's, you know, I think outside motivators help, but we certainly don't want that to be the absolute focus of what we're doing. Right. Yeah. So I'm actually – so I'm a first-year teacher, and this is my first year going to festival. And the way that I view it is that um, you just want to accurately reflect what's going on in your classroom. It's not so much about the ratings. You just want to show people what's going on in your band room. Right, right. And what I tell the kids this, I said, you know, when we go to festival, we are asking these people for their opinion. And we can't be upset if they're going to give it to us honestly. Otherwise, why go to festival? I mean, we're asking for their opinion. They're giving us our opinion. We can't be upset with that. If they're being honest, and we're and we're willing to accept that, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. And um, your program is, is pretty active in the community, and I saw that you have a giving box program. Now, mm-hmm. what is that? What is your giving box program? Well, giving box was created by Richard Meyer. Um, he's a composer. I'm not sure if you've ever played any of his music. Most of his library is string orchestra, but he does have a couple of band pieces, and he's a Disney. 
But I have a, a large percentage of kids who point to giving back as being their favorite time of the entire year, which I think is fantastic. And one of the things that I'm really proud of is the fact that a lot of kids have gone on into high school, done other philanthropic activities, and talk about how giving back inspired them to do the things that they're now doing now. So I'm very appreciative of Richard Meyer for doing that, uh, you know, introducing that program to me, and very glad to be able to continue it here at our school. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's such an amazing program. It's great that you got it into your school. Yeah, yeah, and, and what we've done in the past is we're trying to expand it because I say it doesn't work as well, I think, with the bands. So we went to um, downtown Santa Ana and we played for the homeless population there around Christmas time as as they were handing out donated food and donated items. We have some uh, trips planned in the future, hopefully to go into some convalescent homes. Just trying to get out in the field, get the kids to uh, aware of their impact on other people, how their talents can help other people. Uh, and I think that's important for this point. Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, now, how many years have you been teaching? I'm in year uh, 26. Wow, that's excellent. After 26 years, you are now a finalist for the Music Educator Award for the Grammys. How does that feel? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of special because, you know, uh, if you think of music awards, obviously people think of the Grammys first. Uh, that, that name is recognized more than just about anything else in public society. So it, it really is an honor to have my name in any way associated with, with that name, the name Grammy. Knowing that there were 3,300 teachers who were uh, <laughs> originally, you know, uh, initiated the program, yeah. The fact that I can get down to 3,300 down to 10, that's kind of nice. That's a good thing. That, that's amazing. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. It's been a fun ride. Yeah. Um, so now, if you, could, if you could go back 25 years, or however, however old, when you were 25 years old, and can you think about any advice you would give yourself? your 25-year-old self? Well, I think I've been extremely fortunate in my career. Um, I, I, but before I graduated college, I did a lot of research to find a district where I felt that music was supported, and mm -hmm. that is why I ended up in Irvine. We are extremely fortunate in this district because the community, the administration, the Board of Education, everybody supports the need for having music in our district. And it is because of that that I'm able to do so many things I'm able to do. Uh, because I know that if I come with a good idea and it's all about making sure the kids are taken care of, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to get the okay. And I don't think that's true everywhere you go. Uh, even though from a budget standpoint I struggle just like everybody else, I've never had a situation where if I had a need for something that I was turned down. Um, so I think that I – you know, I'm trying to think if I made any wrong turns or wrong choices along the way. I, I don't think I – I mean, obviously, there certainly could have been things that I could have done better or done differently, mm -hmm. but all those decisions I made brought me to the point where I am now. Yeah. And I like where I am now, and I like the program that I'm working with because it's a reflection of who I am and my priorities. And because I've been able to stay true to that, I, I really think that this is where I want to be and this is where I should be at this particular moment. So it's difficult for me to be able to say, go back and do something differently because maybe the end results would have been different. 
And I don't know, maybe that might be a cop-out to your question. I'm not sure. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> That's okay. I actually really appreciate that answer. It's an interesting take on the question. So, yeah, I, I like that answer. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks for letting me pick your brain here in this interview. I have one last segment that I do with every single one of my guests called Rapid Fire. All right. Where I just, I'll just ask you questions, and I just want you to say the first thing that pops into your mind. Okay, I'll try that. <laughs> All right, you ready? Sure, go ahead. What is your favorite thing about living in California? This is where all my friends and family are. Okay, that's nice. Do you live by the beach? Uh, I'm about uh, 20 minutes from the beach. I actually grew up a lot closer and missed the days, which I used to do almost a daily or weekly bike ride along the coast. Yeah, uh, that's nice. What's your favorite movie? Young Frankenstein. Mm. <laughs> solid, solid choice. Uh, favorite jazz standard? Oh, my goodness. Favorite jazz standard. Uh, you know what? We're teaching Autumn Leaves right now in my band, so I'm going to stick oh, with that one. I, I yeah. always love that jazz. That's a great one. That's one that I actually am going to start teaching really soon with my jazz band. Really oh, yeah. The, the, yeah, it, it's, I have a good arrangement of it if you want to. I don't remember who arranged it off the top of my head. But it's <laughs> okay. a nice one. Yeah, great. Um, one musician, dead or alive, that you would like to collaborate with? Bud Versus. Okay. Principal Trump of Chicago Symphony. Nice. And here's the last question. Um, then what is the number one reason you are a music teacher? Well, the number one reason I'm a music teacher, I guess the, the, if I could rephrase it in a way why I stayed become a music teacher, is because I want – my kids went through my program, and they were all in my – they were all in my middle school band or orchestra, depending on which kid it was. And I used that as motivation at the time – I wanted them to have the kind of program that – I want all my kids to have the kind of program that I want for my children. So when I look at the kids who are in my room, I want them to have that same opportunities that I wanted my children to have, which is the best possible program that I can conceive of. Yeah. Well, that's a great answer, and you handled the rapid fire very well. Very well. Uh, Henry well, Miller, I appreciate thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. I appreciate the, the opportunity to do this, and I look forward to hearing your podcast. All right, and thank you guys for listening to that. Thank you to Henry Miller, if you're listening. Thank you so much again for doing that interview. Hey, to all the Tenuto Podcast listeners, my faithful listeners, I've got a great interview for you next week. His name is Peter Perry. Uh, he's a trumpet player, and he is also a teacher. He writes for NAFME, and he just put out this really awesome article about using Google Classroom in the large ensemble setting tomorrow, or technically today, because it's February 7th. My school is going to Google 100%. So this is kind of a selfish interview, I know, but I know a lot of you guys out there are using Google. And hey, if you're in college... Guess what? Google's the future, so be on the lookout for that. Guys, thank you so much for listening to my podcast, and have a great, great